Welcome to this month's installment of Brass Chats, brought to you by Monster Oil. What is this? 21 year? Hi everybody. This month we are having a Brass Chats hang on the Lower East Side of Manhattan at Katz's Deli while we interview a man who has two degrees from Juilliard. He is the trumpet professor at the Mason Gross School for the Arts at Rutgers University and he has been principal trumpet of the Metropolitan Opera Orchestra since 2001. David Krauss, thank you for hanging with us today. Thanks for really coming yeah. So right off the bat, I want to ask you about some of the unique challenges of uh, your job at the Met there. So how big is the hall? 4,000 people, and it's, uh, it's, it's, well, it's the, I think it's, it's the largest building on the Lincoln Center campus for sure. Right, right, right. So a building that big, I mean, filling up that kind of space as a trumpet player with that many people absorbing the sound, is that something you can kind of let the hall do the work for you? Or your first couple weeks there where you're just like... Oh my God! What do I do? <laughs> it's a big place, yeah. but nobody who buying a ticket for the Metropolitan Opera wants the trumpet player to really fill up the hall. I mean, That's in moments, point. in moments, there, there's always, uh, and we do play loud, and there are points where the orchestra is the only thing going on. But I think the uh, uh, the acoustics are actually really interesting, and in that it is really big and it is really plush. Um, <laughs> But it's not, it's not uh, echoey. It's not reverberant in any way because if it was, the singers it would get You'd lost. You never so hear them. Yeah. It, there, it's kind of an intimacy to it. Yet there's like this really round sound. So you don't. The uh, actually, the, the, it's it's clear is what it is. Um, what's different about being principal trumpet in an opera orchestra versus you know what do you need to do differently than principal over at, at New York Phil? Uh, I don't know because I've never been principal of the New York film, but uh, the, when, when we play symphonic music versus opera music, uh, there, isn't, there isn't really a difference in the way I approach things. You know? uh, the repertoire is different and that shapes, that shapes how you play the trumpet, really. I mean, if you're going to go in and play uh, Mahler 6. Is that the longest Mahler symphony, maybe? Uh, I, like I think it minutes? is. I think uh, it's over 100, actually. Okay. Three um, might be 90. Right. It's between those two, though. Okay, so that's like the longest thing. So that's, and that's considered like, you know, by the, the end of that, you're, you're beat, because it's like a whole Mahler symphony, and often that's the only thing on the program. But that, you know, tonight, that, that's the first act of what I play. So, uh, now, granted, we're not playing, you know, a Mahler's worth of music in one act, but uh, it's spread out, so by the time you hit 10.45 at night and uh, you're feeling a lot different than you did at 7.30. So the pacing is really different. Have you ever done a really like crappy job one yes. night of pacing yourself trumpet-wise? Oh. And by the end of it, you're totally gassed and like you think, what do I do? Turandot is like really the only, one of the only operas where I feel like like the last page of Mahler 1 or something that it's just kind of like on my face and there's right. nowhere to take it off. It's rare really in opera that you have that kind of thing. It's more commonplace that you'll be, let me give you an example. So the, uh, the ring cycle. Yep. So four operas. Sure. The, the, I was going to say the cheapest one. The shortest one is uh, Rheingold at two and a half hours, no intermission. So that's considered like a great short night. Yeah. The longest one is Gouda Demerong, uh, six hours long. So uh, in when you play the second one, Die Valkyrie, 
the first act is uh, an hour, I think, maybe maybe longer, an hour and a half. Uh, you play the the opening. It's this really stormy opening, and it's, it's really great. And the conductor is sweating and spitting, and all this stuff. The cellos are going nuts, and then uh, it says in my part, 45 minutes. Um, so you could just take your watch, well, go do something else. More, yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we kind of leave it at the pit. So, but the thing is, after that 45 minutes, you have uh, the biggest theme in the entire ring cycle, which is the sword the motive. Sword thing, yeah. Which is uh, so, and uh, so, we've done it actually in concert versions in Europe. So I actually have to sit on the stage and sit there for 45 minutes, getting cold, right. doubting myself, <laughs> uh, you know, getting tired swelling you know it's cold outside it's hot inside whatever to freak out before playing this very basic but very exposed solo that you do not want to chip one note you want it pristine so uh that kind of pacing took a long time uh to to learn to get comfortable with yeah yeah, yeah. i mean just to always kind of be at your peak so that's that's really more operas like a lot of waiting around and then little moments of like okay it's it's got to sound it's awesome. go time yeah exactly. yeah what do you love the most about playing opera people ask me casual friends because many my friends that knew me when i didn't have a job that aren't musicians and then i got this job and my life was a lot more stable yeah. the, the first thing they say well, do you even like opera uh and i i always say well i mean yeah now i mean i uh, <laughs> now yeah right uh but um well, you have to now, of course. I have to. I'm legally contracted to like opera. That's right. Um, I mean, it's, no, all kidding aside, uh, you know, being being in a room where there's the best artists from the orchestra and sometimes the conductor to the to the singers, uh, and you have the best... You guys hear that? Props, sometimes the conductor, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know, everything from the props department to the wig department to the lighting to this, the stage managing, to the stage direction, to the music that you're playing. It's like, it's a lot of stuff happening in one room. Yeah. Uh, is that more exciting than uh, Egmont Overture? Not necessarily, but there's certainly something to look at. I want to talk a little bit about your college education. Uh -huh. Your bio lists uh, a really cool mix of teachers. Uh, there's Bill Vacchiano, there's Chris Gecker, there's James Pandolfi, and there's Wynton Marcellus. And I'm hoping you can give kind of a short one-word, one-sentence, um, that kind of thing, synopsis of the most important thing you learned from each teacher. Who should I just go down the list? Sure. Um, <clears throat> Bacchiano. Um, just uh, personality, uh, if I had to say one word, and, and something that he... Uh, always, always had there, every story. I'm, I'm just going to talk because I, I really yeah, yeah. can't talk about him with one sentence. I understand. Uh, every story that people have about him and studying with him is about mouthpieces and about transposition. And there's, you know, rightfully so. I mean, he did have a lot of mouthpieces and. He was. He did really believe that you know a mouthpiece could be could really help, um, and transposition was a huge tool, um, and it is. And we did that, and we talked mouthpiece, we talked transposition. But I don't know if it was just because uh, he was older when I studied with him, and maybe nicer, uh, and maybe a little bit more uh, mellowed out. Maybe I don't yeah. know, because uh, but. 
our lessons together was just like uh, always talking about style. And, and I think the one thing I, the, the biggest thing I took away from him was, uh, from, from studying with him, I took a lot of other things away from listening to him on records, and I have a funny story about that, um, is, is to play with a sense of style and play with personality. And, uh, you know, this is back in the day when the New York Philharmonic, you know, on, with one note, especially from him, I mean, it was no other orchestra. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that or... You know, you, that and the Boston Symphony, all these, Vienna Philharmonic, all, all these different orchestras had different sounds. And Vacchiano was it for New York. Yeah. Like it. All right, so your takeaway was playing with personality and yeah. style with him. What about, uh, what about Gecker? What was your g big, big takeaway from him? Uh, to be agile. To... Uh, you need that in opera playing. There's a lot of really athletic kind of stuff. Well, not even necessarily to be... Uh, so here's a guy... Uh, he, Chris is a big guy. He's, he's, uh, he played football as a, as a kid, and uh, he was always exercising, always really, uh, uh, and he had this had has this kind of Russian jaw. Uh, so he, he's intimidating, uh, but literally the sweetest, like humble, soft-spoken, uh, sweet guy you've ever met, and. Uh, so there's something, and that's the way he's playing us too. He can play. Uh, he, I've heard him play. I played with him Beethoven nine, and on he played it on a B flat rotary trumpet that I couldn't probably get two notes out of, but he managed to. He, he'll play Brandenburg uh, twice in a row, and then play a Broadway show at night. Uh, I mean, he's really a freak of nature. Yet, not loud and boisterous. Not uh, and so he was. He is a big proponent of being prepared. So his feeling was, if you're gonna play, how do you like your blinches, sir? Good, good. Thank you. If you're gonna play Mahler Five, you know it starts by uh, low G's on a Clark study. Uh, really, so that being agile and being prepared and being uh, thorough in your preparedness. Um, James Pandolfi, how about him? <laughs> Jim uh, is <clears throat> the, the I, I think I'm most, I know I made the most progress in my life with him, in lessons with him. Uh, I, I call him Yoda. Uh, I tell all my students, like, go to Dagobah and find him. <laughs> Dagobah is Cape Cod. Uh, so you find him, find him, and, and take lessons with him because it, uh, is he out there now in Cape Cod? Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, so, so, but uh, took me about four tries. I'd say if if I had to sum it up, just uh, backing off. He, again, huge guy. Especially when I stayed with him, he was he's a big guy. He's really slimmed down. Yeah. Uh, but when he was working at the opera and he was third trumpet, just this huge guy, and uh, yet everything he would say, just back off, don't push, small, think, you know, so. Uh, there was again that kind of dichotomy, uh, and so yeah, sound, uh, sound, and backing off. You said when he was working at the opera, was he playing third trumpet while you were principal? Yeah, and you were taking lessons from him as when he was third trumpet. Yeah, it was a, it was a little. It, well, um, I mean, I was when I was at Juilliard. At that time, there were like six or seven people on the faculty, 
uh, everyone from Phil Smith, even Winton was on there for a while. And yeah. I even started with a guy named Ed Troidel, who's passed away. Uh, Mel Broyles, Chris. A a anyway, so I stayed with several of those, but uh, was babysitting for Pandolfi. He lived across the street on Columbus Avenue. Uh, you know that scene in The Godfather? Maybe, you, I don't know if you're a big Godfather guy, but, you know, uh, it's the, the the street and you hear the trumpet player playing scales mm -hmm. like uh, from from the brownstone like that that was Pandolfi except it was it was Zarathustra and, and you know uh, it wasn't it was scales on occasion but uh, he, so he lived on the second story uh, right on Columbus Avenue close to Lincoln Center so you'd be walking down down or up Columbus and you would hear him playing uh, so I, I would babysit and then grab a lesson once I built up enough babysitting currency, nice. uh, and it ended up being uh, just totally uh, game changer for me. I would not be sitting here now uh, if it wasn't for him, for sure. What's the exchange rate for babysitting and trumpet lessons? Is it yeah, like I three babysits per this is per lesson? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. We had an equation of some sort. I'm sure whatever it was, he came out on the bum end of it. I'm sure I. I yeah. So that actually brings us to Winton, and that was going to be my next question. On of all the people on your teacher, you know, heritage, he kind of fascinates me the most because his principal. I mean, Winton can do anything on a trumpet. Everyone knows this, right? Um, and he's such a thoughtful guy. He's such a thoughtful musician. And I find myself wondering a lot about the kind of skills on trumpet that he helped you to develop, or as a musician that he helped you to develop. Um, well, I should say he, he still helps me in that. Uh, you know, I see him uh, a couple times a year, and he's, he's always super great to my family, and now he's more involved. <clears throat> when I see him, we talk about my kids more and, and their development as musicians, but um, when I was a kid, uh, my parents would take me to the Blue Note whenever he played there, and, the, and I would be the one kid there, um, and we'd be right in the, in the front, and uh, I would, you know, and then and my mom was always very persistent with, you're going to go talk to him. And this is my son, David. He plays the trumpet. Me too. It was so horrifying. It was you know, horrifying. I was just like, go talk to him. What's wrong with you? I'm like, what's wrong with you? I yeah. don't want to do Are you serious? Yeah, but thank God for mothers, right? Thanks, Mom. I yeah. love you. <laughs> um, and so my mom uh, and dad were always took me backstage. And then... One day, and one day he was like, "Yeah, well, why don't you come?" And he still does this to everybody I know. Uh, he, you know, he'll he'll spend Winton time. Does. Winton, yeah. After a concert, he'll talk to every last person. He's um, talked to me before. Um, yeah. So he said, "Yeah, come on to my apartment." And I was like, "You, wow." Really? <laughs> <laughs> You're like, "You mean the Fortress of Solitude?" He's like, "No, Second <laughs> Avenue and 18th Street." Do you live in Antarctica? Right. Yeah. Uh, so we went to his apartment, uh, and. I remember showing up with nothing, just my trumpet. I was just so excited uh, to meet Wynton Marsalis, and I was 13. Uh, and he said, well, what do you want to play? I said, well, I don't know. He said, well, why don't you bring out your Arben's book? I go, oh, I, I, didn't, I didn't bring it. It's like, he went downstairs. He lived in a brownstone then. He got his Arben's book, and he, I was like, that's Wynton's Arben's book. Like, that's, like I was trying to freeze frame every moment. Um, but what did I learn from Wynton? Uh, you can't you can't learn trumpet from him. I think. I mean, can Michael Jordan like teach you how to 
jump from the free throw line. Man, that is exactly what I think about him because every time I watch him play, I'm simultaneously learning so much and it's on such a different sphere that uh -huh. I can even comprehend. I'm just like, there's no way I could even, I don't think. What am I learning here? Nothing. I'm just like, yeah. Star if Star anything, if anything, he makes it look so easy <clears throat> that it's almost, it's almost counterintuitive and, and bad for you <laughs> in a way. Um, oh, just relax. It'll all come out. Well, yeah. I mean, the, um, the times that I did ask him something technical, he, he, I mean, the short answer is do this. The, the long answer is, and which he never said, but he did. He said, well, I practiced for five hours a day since I was like seven. Hmm. You know, and not just five hours, like five Face intelligent, hours. smartly put, efficient hours. Yeah. Uh, and so that met with his unbelievable once-in-a-lifetime talent uh, is... So, but the, the stuff that we did work on was uh, musical integrity, I'd say. Like when we worked on Hummel or Hindemith or Mahler or whatever, it was, it was always like, okay, so where is this theme from? And then, you know, if we do the Haydn, for example. I mean, he looks at it first like a like diagramming sentences when you're in eighth grade or fifth grade or whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, you know, this is the subject, and this is the, the, the you know, uh, is this a question or an answer and a phrase? So phrasing and, and that kind of thing. The other thing is just, you know, how to be an awesome person, because he's just, uh, I, I have no words for, for how amazing he, he is and how, how great he's been uh, to me and my family, and he's just the best. All right, you teach in the pre-college division at Juilliard. You teach at Rutgers. You're the head brass coach at Boston University Tanglewood Institute. You're around students constantly, right? Mm -hmm. um, do you find the challenges that each student faces to be totally exclusive to the individual, or are there some issues that many, or maybe even most students face that you can that you can talk about? Yeah, I mean, like, how does the average kid get better at trumpet these days? I think, I think the, I think the longer I teach, the more I say the same things, and I'm not ashamed to say the same things over and over again. I think when I first started teaching, I, I felt like I had to cover all these different things and do all these different things and, and say all these different things. And the more I teach, the more I realize that like one or two things really is the root cause of many different problems. So I'd say if I had one thing that, you know, the majority of the time that I'm working on is <clears throat> um, sound first. You know, I mean, what you're nothing if, if if you don't sound good, right? So um, when, for example, like tonight when I listen to the opera singer sing, if they're great, which they probably are, I'm listening to that person's voice, their, their sound, that's it. They're not, it's not the most, it doesn't have to be the most beautiful phrasing, it doesn't have to be the most thoughtful, and it, you're just listening to the person's sound, you're listening to them sing, and, and ultimately that's what you want to do on the trumpet. You just want to sound, freaking awesome all the time and to do that on the trumpet a lot of times it means again the counter in, in, intuitiveness of, of maybe if you want to play really big you know playing uh, not not opening up and playing really big and and playing very efficiently to make a beautiful sound uh, so I'd say backing off is, is probably the, the main the main uh, uh, 
one of the, the, the biggest hurdles that we have as trumpet players. What about some of your hurdles growing up? Is that one thing that, that really kind of unlocked a key for you? You know, maybe some David Cross trumpet obstacles that you, uh, <laughs> something that if you didn't fix it, you would time. not be. Do you have film in that thing? <laughs> uh, um, I, I'd say that the, the, the point, especially when I was studying with Pandolfi, the, really the, the turnaround point where of, of being a Juilliard, being an undergraduate, being like the worst one, you know, getting second on the overture every week. Going from that to then, I remember the first great thing I got to play was Mahler's Seventh Symphony. And that was after a little while studying with Pandolfi and, and really the biggest obstacle was, everybody would say use more air, use more air. Um, and yes, you have to use a lot of air, but um, I was practicing at Juilliard up until <clears throat> 11 o'clock when the building closed every night using a lot of air and uh, you know being completely devastated physically, emotionally every night because I was in school with guys like Jens Lindemann who would like triple tongue octaves you know, with his legs crossed. Um, <laughs> Mark Niehaus, who was uh, principal in Milwaukee. Uh, Mark Inouye, who's a colleague of mine, he's in San Francisco, great player, great guy. All, all these really great players. I mean, the list goes on and on, like really amazing players who could just play. Yeah. And that's really intimidating to walk down the halls when you're having a hard time getting through the opening of Honegger or feeling comfortable at the end of the characteristic study or something, you know. So it really wasn't until I uh, I, I really worked on efficiency. Uh, and that's something that Pandolfi really helped me. Cool. You've gotten to work with some of the best conductors in history. Tell me uh, about a great or transcendent experience you had where you just kind of looked around you for a second and said, holy crap, I can't believe I'm doing this. Uh, the first time I played with James Levine. Yeah. Um, it was a Mozart opera. <clears throat> the, it, was, it was probably, it was Idomeneo, the lesser known Mozart opera. I know Idomeneo, that's good. Yeah? My wife sang Elia. Oh, all right, there you go. Okay, that's cool. Well, the trumpet part has like probably six notes in <laughs> yeah. the three hour opera. There's like nothing to do. Um, but it was my first time, uh, it was like September of 01, or October probably. And uh, I was sitting there playing, it was overwhelming, playing with this amazing orchestra, playing Mozart with an amazing orchestra. It was the first time that I really heard Mozart, like, just incredible. I was in the middle of it and watching this well-oiled machine run, it was, uh, it, that was insane. That was insane. All right. Have you ever just totally, you talked about the pressure being on all the time. Have you ever totally missed something at a really important moment during a really important or exposed aria bad enough that you could tell that it kind of threw a singer off? Um, no. Here's, here's one thing that almost happened. Oh. Uh, we were in, like I mentioned Die Valkyrie before, my first year, I was not tenured. Uh, we travel to Europe. We do all the concert halls in Europe, and we did the Salzburg Festival in Austria. So we're playing Wagner in Austria, James Levine, Placido Domingo, we did the first act of, of Valkyrie. I had never even rehearsed it, and I'm playing it. Uh, I don't know the music at all. I mean, I know <laughs> the trumpet part, but I don't, now I can kind of sing the whole thing, and, yeah. and you know it. 
I didn't know it at all. The context. Yeah, yeah. Right. I didn't know what was in four, what was in two, so we go, and on tour, we don't really rehearse things. They do sound checks. We never get to that big call uh, 45 minutes in. So you play the opening, like I said. I'm sitting there. It's cold. I'm like, I just got this gig, right? I'm not there for like more than a couple of months, and we go on tour. Uh, and we're in Austria, which is kind of weird for me anyway. Um, and we're sitting there, and I'm holding, and, and Jim Ross, second trumpet player, was like, leans over, says, you know, your solo's coming up. And I was like, oh, yeah. Um, I was like, is it in two or in four? He goes, it's, it's, it's in two. I go, well, I have no idea where I am. And, and so the, the thing comes, it's bum, 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 bum. You wait, bum, bum. again, you do it like three or four times. But each time it goes back and forth. I said, and I looked at him, I said, I have no idea what I'm doing. You have, he goes, I'll bring you in. So we're going, and I see him go. And I play the first one. And, and, and I'm counting, I'm like, two, wait, oh, we got it, he's in four. I go, I, I have no idea what I'm doing again. He goes, I'll bring you in. So he brought me in the whole thing. Now, had I screwed up Wagner in Austria with Placido Domingo and James Levine, the Met Orchestra, not being tenured, uh, it wouldn't have been good. <laughs> it wouldn't have been good. So uh, to this uh, this day, I, I definitely owe Jim Ross uh, perpetual beers. Yeah, yeah. Anytime yeah. you see him, whatever he wants. Actually, it's written in the part. I owe Jim Ross a beer, and I still haven't paid up. Uh, but that was a long time ago. All right. So that brings us to the monster round. Awesome. Are you informed of the monster round? <clears throat> I saw. I saw Pete's. Okay, uh, so you're apprised of at least some of the perils. Rapid, rapid fire. Uh, it's rapid fire. Okay. You get to answer what you want, and uh, and you know, everyone understands it's rapid fire. If I ask you about your favorite something, nobody's gonna. All right. Check check the source. Okay. So not much pressure. Okay. But there's a lot of pressure, so I'm I hope ready. you're afraid. All, All right, here fun. we go, everybody. Monster round. David Krauss, principal trumpet of the Met. Here we go. Least favorite opera. Uh. Norma. Highest note you can nail every single day on the trumpet. Uh, C. Best concert you've ever been to? That's hard to say. Uh, hearing Winton live in the third row when he played his Carnival uh, record uh, in Carnegie Hall. That cool. was pretty great. Uh, favorite conductor? Um, James Levine. Uh, what's your favorite food? Uh, I mean, come on. <laughs> I'm in front of one of them. And I can't believe I've only eaten half of it. But That's my fault. Talking. I like yeah. owe him one this to go is, or something. This is really sad. Yeah. Uh, what's your favorite, uh, what's your favorite non-operatic mus uh, musical genre? Non-operatic uh, uh, jazz. Jazz, definitely. Presidential candidate from the current cycle that you would most like to have a beer with? Bernie. What do you think of Mark Gould's characterization of Pete Bond as an ADD gorilla? <laughs> just ruined my sandwich. Um, oh, I, I agree. Uh, I okay, agree. Good, good. I can attest to that. Right. It's uh, actually a very accurate portrayal. Uh, who was your biggest trumpet influence? Uh, Winton. Who would win in a brass section bar brawl? La Scala or the Met? Uh, where is the brawl? 
in Italy or here? Oh, oh, because that really makes a big difference. Katz's Deli. Uh, we would, sure. <laughs> I know where the back doors are. Uh, who's your favorite operatic composer? Uh, Strauss. Strauss. Is it safe to say that trumpet is your number one skill? Um, no. Oh, you ruined no. my question. Okay, what's okay. your number one skill? Uh, well, that is, uh, making espresso. I think I'm a better... You are better at making espresso <laughs> than playing trumpet? Absolutely. It's way more consistent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. I like that. What opera are you sick of playing? You never have to play it again. You would not shed a tear. Um, the one I'm playing tonight, Madame Butterfly. Really? Yeah. yeah. Uh, what's your favorite building in New York City? Favorite building? Okay, well, uh, the Ansonia. It's a great apartment building. Uh, I've always been obsessed with it. Favorite place to play the trumpet? My favorite place to play the trumpet was my parents' kitchen in Long Island. Uh, before they moved, it was all uh, tiled and echoey, and I, I, I always sounded like a million bucks there. Love that. Puccini or Rossini? Puccini. Would you rather perform the Artunian Concerto in Carnegie <laughs> no. Hall okay. with a harmon mute in the whole time or not play Carnegie Hall at all? Not play Carnegie Hall. Would you rather be a millionaire with a mean wife or be homeless with an amazing supermodel wife? It's a, this is a lose-lose answer. I have a wonderful supermodel wife at home that everybody's happy with. And so, uh, huh? But you're not homeless. I'm not homeless. I would be homeless if I answered that question the way you want me to. Okay, got it. Fair. Would you rather spend all day on a hoverboard, like the, the new kind? I, have, I bought one for Did my Did you kids. really? Yeah. Would you rather spend all day on that or on a pogo stick? Hoverboard. It's awesome. <laughs> uh, also, because my brother, we had a pogo stick when I was a kid. My brother, when we were a very little kid, got his wiener caught in the spring. So to this day, any Are pogo you serious? No, I'm totally serious. Uh, so anytime... Uh, that seems like a pretty serious design flaw. That was, yeah. It was more, yeah. Who would you rather have babysit your kids? O.J. Simpson or Ozzy Osbourne? Ozzy, I would, I would think. David Krause, thank you so much for spending hey, time with you. us. This thank has you. been awesome. Yeah, thank you very you. much.